If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you're new, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and we are making our way through Hebrews uh, 10. All right, we're going to cover a whole two verses today. All right? So I know you just sat down, so stand back up in the honor of reading God's Word. And I read these last week, but I'm going to teach them this week. All right? So verses 24 and 25. And let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. All right, so last week I told you, and I tried to end the, uh, the sermon abruptly, and, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll reiterate the homework that I gave last week for those of you that have forgotten since then. Um, but last week we covered uh, really verses 22, it was 19 through 25, but really verses 22 and 23, and, uh, and how it looks in the community of faith, what it looks like for us as believers uh, together, and, and what it looks like specifically to contend for our faith. Right? This, is, this is a very common term uh, in, in the Bible, this idea of contending or fighting for our faith. And, and I wanted to read uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is Paul writing to his, his apprentice, right, Timothy, who he's discipling up in the faith. And he uses that very famous term here, uh, fight the good fight. But I want to look at kind of the context around this to position our idea and our thought of contending. And when I say contending, uh, I literally mean to, to intentionally pursue or fight for, for the presence of God, for faith, of Je- faith in Jesus in our lives. And so I want to look at this context where we find this. And so this is the full context of 1 Timothy 6. It says, teach and urge these things, okay? Paul to Timothy, this is what I want you to teach. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Okay? Actually, that is going to fit perfectly next week. So just caveat that. This is going to be a fun journey next week. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension and slander, evil suspicions. So here's where we're even talking last week about a little bit of that idea of deconstructionism and, and, and this idea of fighting against like our, our command here in Hebrews 10 to hold fast. Okay, And constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. Brought nothing in, you can take nothing out, Paul says. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. How are we doing so far? We have food, we have clothing, we can be content in this world. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, disciple, Christ follower, brother, sister in Christ, flee these things. Pause right there. 
So he started verse 2, and this is in the middle of verse 2. He says, this is what I want you to teach. This is what I want you to, to be very articulate in, Timothy, when you go before disciples, when you go before churches, when you start pinning letters to churches. And what did he hit? Contentment, money, godliness with the pursuit of, of greed or, or ungodly gain, right? And now he says, look, pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. He goes, this is what I want you to go after. These are the warnings, but here's what I want you to be about. Here's what I want the, the, the essence of the gospel that rolls off of your tongue to be about. Charge the people. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Sound familiar? Should Galatians, right? By the fruit of the Spirit, very similar. Now he gets into that famous line, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. The word we're using, contend. Timothy, here are the things I want you to contend for, right? He just listed them. And he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about to which you have met, you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You say, Kyle, that's awesome. That's great. That's what I want to pursue. But how? Like, I think if you're here, and maybe you're here, and you're, you're like total, totally skeptical of Christianity. First, I'm so glad that you're here. Maybe you're, you're, you're really wrestling with things. I'm so glad that you're here. But many of you come into this space and place as disciples, as followers of Jesus. And this morning, this is a strengthening message for you. This is a message from the word of God on how do I contend? How do I fight the good fight of faith that, that Paul just laid out there for Timothy? Righteousness, godliness, gentleness. Like how, how I desire those things. As a Christ follower, that's the impulse of your heart. It should be because that's the impulse of the spirit. That's what the spirit produces in you and me. But how many you know, like that can be difficult. Like anybody else on that journey where this is like a difficult thing? Um. Mark Sayers, uh, in his book, uh, Reappearing Church, he has this part where he talks about um, the, the idea of spiritual renewal or renewal in our lives or renewal in the church. In one of the sections of renewal, he actually labels with this word contending. And I want to I read this from Mark Sayers on what a posture of contending looks like. He says, when we step into a posture of contending, we choose to stand in the place of transformation rather than accumulation. We no longer live to acquire a portfolio of possessions and cool experiences. What I would say 1 Timothy 6 just talked about. God invites us to partner with him. Contending and centering our lives around his mission in the world. This is a truth that is not just affirmed, right? Where we all go, yes, we nod our heads, right, theologically. It is walked out. We believe with our feet. Each step a choice to contend rather than to simply live to consume. So back to the question. How? Hebrews 10, the sections we've been walking through for the last two weeks, is the what and the how. What we're contending for are found in verses 22 and 23 from last week, right? Do you remember it? Let us draw near to God and let us 
hold fast the confession. That's the what, right? What are we contending for from Hebrews 10? Drawing near to God and holding fast to our confession. But I'm thankful that the word of God does not just leave us at the what only in this passage, right? And just go, okay, hey, y'all, go figure it out. But it actually takes us to the how. And the how is found in these two verses, in verses 24 and 25. But let me warn you, rarely when the Bible talks about the how in the word of God, does the how line up with our preference? Does it line up with how we prefer? Because here's what I know about my heart, and I would guess it's true about your heart as well, that my preferences, in of my flesh or the sinful bent of Kyle, they're typically all about ease and expediency. And the way of Jesus through the word of God is always working to go deeper and deeper into our heart, not to what we want necessarily but to what we need. What we need. What you and I need to see true contending, to see truly the, the, the good fight of faith worked out in our lives. What, we, what do we need? And, and I'll get there in just a second. But we'll be faced with this lie this morning. This is the lie you and I will be faced with this morning. You can do this alone. You can do this alone. So, so, so you, you, you'll question things. You'll, you'll, you'll even wrestle. Well, I, I don't know, Kyle, if that's fully true. No, it's fully true because it's from the word of God. The lie that the enemy will bring in your heart and my heart is, well, no, there's some version of this that I can do alone. And what Hebrews 10 just said to us for the last two weeks is this, that faithful contending for the presence of God in our lives and godliness in our lives must be done with others. The whole crux of drawing near and holding fast reside in verse 25. That there was a problem with these Hebrew Christians that they have gotten out of the habit of meeting together. And it's going, no, 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 you have to understand the reason it is so critical for you to meet together and be in the habit of meeting together is because the very contending, the fighting, the good fight of faith that rests on you and me is contingent upon you guys being together. You cannot do this alone. We can't do this alone, but the enemy wants to try to convince us of the lie that we can. And this is oh so relevant for us coming out of the last two years, and I talked a little bit about that last week and the COVID realities, and that for some of you, you have gotten out of the habit of getting together, of gathering, and it's been this slow movement away from the habit. And so last week, uh, I gave you a little homework. And for those of you that weren't here to hear it, I can share it again with you. And I want you to think about it. Um, I challenge you to evaluate the overlap of your life with other believers. The real togetherness. Do you really have those spaces and those places where you are meeting regularly, habitually with other believers? Now, you got a little out with the ice storm, all right? Or whatever that cold rain was, all right? So maybe think about the last two weeks. And I'm not talking about, well, you know, Susie next to me at the, you know, at the office, she's a Christian. My life overlaps with her. I think she's a Christian. We've never talked about it. But I think, I think she is. That's not what I'm talking about. 
That's not what Hebrews is talking about when it's talking about gathering. It's talking about your life being ingrained with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so where we will go this morning in verses 24 and 25 is that there are three components that Hebrews 10 gives us that when our lives overlap with other believers must be there. And that's why I wanted to focus specifically on these verses because, one, we've just been turned upside down for the last two years. A lot of us, we are out of the habit of gathering together. You say, Kyle, I'm here every Sunday. Reminder, Hebrews 10 the primary gathering that it's talking about is not a gathering like this. I don't think the writer of Hebrews had a gathering like this in mind, even though gathering together as one assembly is biblical, it's right, it's good, this is a form of fashion, but it was talking about something where there was mutual encouragement one to another among the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Hebrews 10 is talking about. Now, I want to take it a step further in this text to go, what are the components of that? Because are you just simply talking, Kyle, Hebrews 10, simply talking about us just getting together and having a good meal, us getting together and having a cup of coffee, us, us coming together and having a systematic Bible study? Listen, I'm all for all of those things, right? I love studying the Bible. I love a good meal, right? There's nothing that evokes worship in my heart like cutting open a medium rare filet, right? And it's just like, sorry, I got distracted. But, right? but is it just that? Oh, it's so much more. It's so much more, and we must understand that as believers who understand we cannot do this alone. But some of you, um, and I would say most of us are guilty of this, uh, what we actually value most, back to our preference, is our preference of community and how community is done over the actual community of believers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, in his book, Life Together, phenomenal book, uh, one of my favorite sections is it's early on in the book. He writes this, and I want you to he hear, hear this. He who loves his dream of community or his preference of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Did you hear that? That, that, that our preference, if it's the chief, the supreme thing by which we get together or, or, or by which we allow to lead our lives, here's what it actually does to the community as a whole. That if our preference is driving, it destroys it. That it's not your preference or my preference around community or how we do community or what community looks like. In this. No, it's the word of God that drives us. It's that we value the community in the way that Jesus has built it. Why? Because this is his church. So we want to be a people who honor Jesus by honoring community the way he sees fit, right? Not our preferences, not our ideals, all right? So there are three things, of course, three-point sermon here, that I want to walk through in this text. Components and community. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay them over your relationships, your gatherings, right? And I'm not just talking about your church-sanctioned gatherings. Not praxis, just praxis or formation, right, or this one, but over your relationships. And the first point is this. Let's look at it, and these are all made in the text. And let us consider. So let us consider the first component, if you will, to godly and Jesus-glorifying community is this. 
consideration. That you and I are considerate. We consider one another. Now, now what, what thought is evoked when, when you hear considerate? Or you think about somebody being a considerate person, right? What, what, what's evoked there? That they think about it. So another word you could maybe put there would be intentional. That this is not a thoughtless community. That our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ are actually the most thoughtful. And I don't just mean thoughtful like, aw. But no, thoughtful like I'm actually thinking about you before we get together. Or I'm actually thinking about you in light of us spending time together. See, that's what this idea here in Hebrews 10 means. is like consider when you get together with brothers and sisters in Christ, who you're actually getting together with. That's important. Like before you get into praxis or before you get into formation groups, we'll just use those two groups as an example. Have you prayed for those people that you're gathering with? I've talked about this larger gathering. How many of you, before you came into this place in this place to hear the word of God, to worship the Lord, actually took time to stop down and say, okay, Lord, I want to pray that you would open my ears and my heart, but not just that you'd open my ears and my heart, but that you would put brothers and sisters around me that I might encourage them. That's considering. That's thinking about. That's intentional. That's the kind of Christian community that God wants to design, right? It's something that's thoughtful, and we'll talk about thoughtlessness here in a second, that is actually thinking about the relational and spiritual growth of another person. If we have any shot of contending for our faith together, it must be considerate of one another. If we have any shot of helping each other draw near and hold fast, it comes by us first considering one another. Considering where my brother is, considering where my sister is, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us and us listening. The second, so it says, look at this. Let us consider how to stir up one another. So it's not just consider it, but it's consider it with a point. Two points, if you will. And the first point is this, that we would stir up. And, and the word I use here is, is challenging, and they're not all going to be C's, okay? Like, I'm not into alliteration like that, totally. But true Christian community is one that is considerate and challenging. Another word for that, maybe, honest. That we're stirring up. I think a very good translation of this also is it's actually the, the Greek word means to provoke. Stir up, to, to, to provoke, to be honest in challenge community toward a direction. Now this is not, again, hear me, this is not directionless consideration or directionless challenge, right? So we first consider so that we know how to challenge, we know how to provoke, we know how to stir up, and then it gives a, a point to say, listen, your direction for challenging or stirring up, your direction of honesty is this. Look at it in your text. I got it memorized, all right? Toward love and good works. Those are the directions that we stir when considering one another, when we are then challenging or honest before one another. The direction I want to see your life and you should want to see my life go is this toward love and good works. And this makes sense, right? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? That you love the Lord God with what? All that you are. 
And the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 13, right? That awesome wedding chapter. There's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Christian community, overlap of your lives, your togetherness, listen, it has a direction. And that direction is toward love. And listen, I'm not talking about the flippant cultural love. I'm not talking about a shallow version that has been perverted by our world. I'm talking about the kind of love and depth that the word of God talks about. The real substance of love. Jesus, who is defined as love. God, first, first four, uh, first John 4, 8, right? God, who is love. We understand love as a person, okay? So we take that you say, okay, so it's, it's pointed toward Jesus. Yes, but it's pointed toward Jesus in what he has modeled what he's shown, what he exemplifies, right? This is John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love. Listen, this is stuff we all know, but it's so hard to practice. It's so hard to practice. And it's, dare I say, impossible to practice alone. This must be a communal practice. So our honesty, our challenging is in the direction of love and good works. The church, the local church, the community of faith should be the place of love in our city. Like when people think about love, when they think about care, and I don't mean love as culture defines it, equating acceptance. I'm talking about the way that the Bible defines it, that Jesus, he, he, he fully demonstrated and represented love, and he was both full of grace and truth. That one of the ways we can be a most loving community is by holding fast to the capital T truth. Not in an arrogant way, not in a haughty way, but in a humble way. Not in a tone-deaf way, but in a way that follows the way of Jesus. Right? When everybody's wanting us to shout, we get quiet. Right? When everybody's wanting us to make a statement, say this, say that, we understand the heart and we look to the heart. We, point number one, consider. We think about. We're intentional. And good works, what, what does he mean by good works? What he means by good works is this, is living a life that honors Jesus wholly and fully. Holy living, set apart living, set apart in the way that we conduct our lives and our rhythms and our patterns. Are we a community that John 15 verse 13 describes? Chapter most of you are familiar with, but it says this in verse 13, no greater love than the kind of love that lays down our life for his friends. And I'm not talking about the kind of take the bullet for your friend. I'm talking about the one that lays down those areas that you have closed your fist around. Maybe it's your emotions. Maybe it's your time or your schedule. Maybe it is your resources. Have you given your life over to loving God and loving others truly? And listen, we... We haven't in this side of heaven. We won't arrive at perfection in this. 
That's why the word contending is so important. Oh, this is what we're contending for by the spirit of God and in the grace of Christ. We're contending toward this. Now, let me give a little bit of a caveat to challenging, this point of challenging. Don't confuse this with being critical. Our culture is really good at criticism. This is not the essence of what the word of God is talking about. This is not permission for you just to go, well, I'm just spewing all this truth. I'm just letting you know how it is, right? That's honesty. Kyle told me to be challenging. Here we go. No, that is the opposite. That is the opposite. No consideration in trying to stir up or provoke is going to be damaging. Directionless honesty is damaging. Did you hear me? Challenging, stirring up without relational equity, without love of the other person, without consideration of who they are and where they are, will cause damage. Any of you ever been on the other end of that? Yeah. But Jesus gives us a better way. His word gives us a better way. Consider and challenge and provoke and stir up toward love and good works. And then the third point. Let's look at it here. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. I talked about that last week. But encouraging one another. I, I forget how many one another rings there are in the Bible, but there are a lot. And within these two verses, there are two. And this is a big one. That when you and I get together as believers, when we overlap our lives in the hope of contending, in the hope of drawing near, in the hope of, of, of holding fast to our confession, encouragement must be present. In church, I have to say, this is probably the one um, we're not the strongest in. And this is beyond just surface level encouragement. Oh, you're smart, you're a good mom, you're a good dad. Those are all good encouragements. But the idea of encouragement here finds its root in verse 23. If you look at your Bible in verse 23, here's what it says. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. So our encouraging as a community is not pointed inward. It's not even pointed to the other people in our community. Our encouragement as a community is this. He who promised is faithful. That's the encouragement we have. He who promised is faithful. Who is that? Jesus. He who has made the promises, who fulfills the promises. It's him who's faithful. So listen, the people who are getting together in bomb shelters in Ukraine, what encouragement do we see? My house just got leveled. My wife and kids just got sent off. I'm bearing arms to defend. Here is the encouragement they're facing. He who promised is faithful. That's all we can hold on to. That's the encouragement of the community. That's the encouragement from me to you. That's the best kind and the deepest kind of encouragement I can give you is to sink deep your anchor in Jesus Christ. He who promised is faithful. He's faithful. Right? Like that's the encouragement we actually need. We don't need any more pseudo encouragement in our life that's flimsy. Because here's what I do with that pseudo encouragement. I try to drive my anchor into that. And let me tell you what doesn't hold. But what holds is this, I'm confident in Christ 
that he is faithful, that he is true to his word and his promises. So listen to me. If you're going to make that kind of statement from Hebrews 10, what's a prerequisite? That you know the promises. That you know the real promises of God. That you know the foundation to which you're making these claims. Or else, here's what happens in Christian community. And I've been on uh, one of the ends of this. Where somebody will say something thinking that they're stating a promise of God. And they'll go, well, you know, brother, God never gives you more than you can handle. I'm like, chapter and verse needed on that one. Because let me just tell you my life. God always gives you more than you can handle. Let me tell you my experience this past week. I had way more than I can handle. But let me tell you what was more true than that. He who promised is faithful. He who promised is there. He is there. He's with you. He's walking alongside you. He's strengthening you. Listen, God will and does allow you to have more than you can handle. Why? So that you will cast and throw yourself upon Jesus every time. He who promised is faithful. And so listen, that is the anthem of a community. That's our encouragement. Our encouragement is Christ. Our encouragement is what we have seen unpacked for months now in the book of Hebrews. So let me close. Um, You cannot do this alone. You cannot contend for your faith and affections of Jesus alone. You cannot do this watching church online. I'm thankful for that tool, but it it is terrible. It is terrible for discipleship and community. And it grieves me that so many people have believed that that is actually what can provide them the strength that they need in these moments. We must be more diligent in our gatherings. We must gather, not those looking for offense or gathering offense, but we must gather with the grace and trust of Christ. What what would it look like because of Christ's transformation in our life if truly this community, this community of faith was really marked by being unoffendable? I have no idea what that would look like, but I know it would be beautiful. Back to Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this, he says, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. Man, I long for that. Where the only thing vital between you and me is this, is the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews 10, I think, gives this beautiful picture of the proverbial three-legged stool, right? That what must be present in our communities is consideration, challenging, challenge, and encouragement. And let me tell you, if you knock one of any one of those legs out, it's going to be out of balance. Like I said, if you remove consideration, at best, it's just going to be these blanket encouragements and challenges. 
if you remove challenge and honesty. You have pseudo-community. If you remove from it encouragement. Let me tell you, church, with the one that I think we wrestle with most, if you remove encouragement from it, it will wither. It will wither. It'll shrivel up because it, it, it'll just hear all of these things, these challenging or these stirring up, these provoking, but yet never have the confidence and fan the flame of Christ. Of, hey, we're in this together. Jesus built us. Aren't you so thankful that he connected our lives to stir us up toward him? Okay, so I have one more point. So not three points, four points. The end of verse 25. But encouraging one another and three words, all the more. How, how often should we be doing this? More. Your homework, maybe you looked, you're like, man, my life intersects with believers. I'm, I'm in this community. All the more. All the more. Why all the more? Because Jesus knows, the Spirit knows, the strength and vitality that comes when we are together contending for our faith. And it says, all the more, as the capital D day draws near. You know what that means in your Bible? That's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. What the Bible knows about the day drawing near, that capital D day drawing near, is this, that the days don't get easier for believers. The days do not get easier for disciples of Jesus. They actually get more and more difficult. That is why I am convinced that right here in the text it says, how often do you need to be getting together? How often do you need to be overlapping your life, encouraging, mutually encouraging one another? All the more. And this isn't talking about more robust church programs. This is about talking, this is talking to you and to me about being pursuers of these kind of relationships in our life. So listen to me, if you are looking at the church to be the hub for this, listen, we will get people together, we'll organize things, but it is on you to pursue and to mutually encourage one another. And so that's my challenge. Like this, this is my takeaway. How do we respond to a text like this? First is this, love the church more than you love your preference for community. Love the bride that is Christ more than you love your preference for how we do community or what's involved in community. The second, what I was just kind of talking about, pursue relationships and opportunities to love one another. Be a pursuer of people who don't look like you. Be a pursuer of those opportunities to serve others, to both serve people in this house and outside the walls of this church. Pursue it, right? I, I, maybe you go, I, I can't get in community. I, I, can't find, I can't find friends. I can't find other people to overlap in my life. Have you pursued other people? Right? There are, there are, I can't count the number of new people here at the Parks Church, right? And so just look around and start every conversation with, hi, how are you? What part of California did you come from? And you're going to land one, right? <laughs> like, it's just going to land, okay? I love you. You're, I love you Californians. Um, but be a pursuer. Make gathering on Sunday mornings in person a habit. Last week, there's this habitual plea from this text 
Listen, this habit of regularly gathering both in one assembly and both in small groups will have a ripple effect on your life that will be absolutely powerful and profound. Make it a priority. By the way, I think the word online church is actually an oxymoron. The church is this, the people of God gathered in flesh and blood community. It's the gathering of the redeemed. And the last one is make gathering with other believers a habit. A gathering that's considerate, challenging, and encouraging toward Christ. And I can't wait to see what Jesus does with a community that's in pursuit of that. That he doesn't just give me my preference for community, he gives me what I actually need. And when I follow what he actually says I need, that's where I find life and flourishing. That's where I find true contending, where those, those, those lists of righteousness and gentleness and all those things don't seem like impossibilities, but because of Christ and because of community, actually become encouraging to me because I know I'm linking arms shoulder to shoulder with other people who have the same pursuit. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word that is living and active. God, that we could even this morning for 30 or 40 minutes sit in two verses and just spin the diamond of your word. God, I thank you that your word both gives us the what and the how and the grace to follow it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us as a community. You'd help us as a large gathering here to hear these principles, to hear these things from your word and to live them out in three and four, in eight and 10, in one-on-one. Holy Spirit, show us how to consider one another well, how to be honest and stir up and to challenge each other, encouraging us all the more toward Jesus. Lord God, I, I pray that we would drop any God, pretense and facade. God, we long to follow you. We long to contend for faith, for for true, honest living for you. And so, Lord, show us what that looks like. Show us what that looks like shoulder to shoulder. And so, Lord, give us hearts as pursuers. Father, I pray, even even as we stand up and go from this space, Lord, I pray for interactions and communication. I pray for text messages. I pray for formation groups and praxis groups and the women's gathering on Tuesday. Lord, that these would just be um, context for your Holy Spirit to overlap lives so that you might do something really beautiful. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the journey you have her on. Now keep her and hold her. For your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.